chapter 6, we'll be looking at the Christian and his battles as we continue to study the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll uh, be with us this evening as we've gathered together to open up your word, Lord. I pray that you'll give us strength to um, dive into this text, Lord. I pray that, as always, that your spirit will be with us, that you'll strengthen us this evening in your word as we learn what it means to put on the whole armor of God. Lord, I thank you for what you have done so far today. I thank you for giving us the spirit of worship this morning, even this evening coming here with a joyful spirit, singing aloud and praising you for what a great and mighty God you are. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Not too long ago, in the middle of the night, I woke up out of a dead sleep desiring to have ice cream. Now, I know you don't do these things, but I do. So I have done this many times before, as you can tell. So I began to navigate to the kitchen in the middle of the night. Right next to my bed, my wife was faithful to put my slippers there. Right next to my bed, I have a light right there. But I am such a mastermind about working through the dark to make it to the kitchen, I didn't grab either of those. Well, this night I turned the corner, and as I turned the corner, my toes clipped the corner of the bed. All I can tell you is that 2 o'clock in the morning, my mind quickly shifted from ice cream to speaking Hebrew. I was breaking down. The thoughts that were going through my mind was, should I wake my wife up to hold me, to tell me that everything is okay? Because I didn't feel like it was. 
You know, injuries to our feet can cripple us. Injuries to our feet can kind of erase the thought processes of our mind. Paul here in this text, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, when he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, he brings us to this part of the armor where he's really letting us know that, you know, it doesn't really matter how big you are, so to say. It doesn't really matter how much of a spiritual giant you are. It doesn't matter how well you are able to wield the sword. If you cannot stand up and fight, your sword is useless. If you're unable to take a stand while you're wearing the armor, how are you ever able to defend yourself? Many of us who've been here for many years it was a common thing for us to always go up to Jacob Center here and play football. We loved playing football. But one of the things that we loved to play football in is we loved to play football when it was muddy. And it was great for me because I wasn't that great of an athlete, but mud equaled everybody out. But the deal was when we would go up there and play, it didn't really matter how good you were because you couldn't run in the mud. We was literally playing the game of football two yards at a time. Fifteen people just laying in the mud. I want to propose to us this evening that this is the condition of the believer who lacks a firm foundation, whose feet are not properly shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we lose when we leave the footing of which we stand upon, we have lost all traction. When we engage the enemy, but we forget why we're even engaging the enemy. When we forget what we, st what we are standing upon, we'll find ourselves like on the muddy football field. Or even worse, we'll find ourselves in a situation in the midst of the battle where we find ourselves hurt into a place where we have forgotten why we are even fighting. Paul so far has urged the believer, as we've looked into the Christian and his battles, he's urged the believer to have his loins girt about with truth. He's urged the believer to have on the breastplate of righteousness. And now it's this having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The imagery that's laid out here for us in Ephesians chapter 6 is really, it's just amazing how Paul continues to challenge the believer to put on the whole armor of God. But notice how Paul continues to build here. Matter of fact, if you go back to verse 11 and look, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Paul is not challenging the believer to have a continuous cycle every day. We continue to put on the armor of God. Paul's challenge to us in verse 11 is that we put on the whole armor of God and that we leave it on. This is not a rehearsal that we do every day. I was reading that. Most commentators believe that as Paul is writing this portion of Ephesians chapter 6 out, we understand that Ephesians is what we know as a prison epistle. 
And it is the same context in which he wrote Philippians that as he wrote this epistle, he was sitting there chained to a Roman guard 24 hours of a day. It's like Paul was taking the imagery of what was right before his eyes as he looked at this soldier who was prepared for battle and said, you know what? Those who are engaged in spiritual battle need to be armed in the exact same way. It's almost like, I feel like when you think about it in that context of the encouragement that we find from Ephesians chapter 6, it's almost like the end of Genesis where David says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. They chained Paul to this Roman guard for a long enough time for him to pause and sit down and write, encourage the believers for centuries to come. Notice what it says here, having your feet shod with the gospel of Peace. Notice the wording here. It's more than having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul is continuing to connect here. He's, this word and is connecting us to the previous verses. That one piece of the armor is not sufficient. The breastplate of righteousness is not enough alone. Having your loins girded about with truth is not enough alone. It's having your loins girded about with truth. It's having on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of truth. None is sufficient by itself. The soldier needs all of the armor. So he says, and having your feet shod. It is written here in the middle participle. What does that really mean to us when he says this and having your feet shod? When the middle participle in the Greek language means this, that it's your responsibility to do it. You, you have to do it in your own accord. This is something that you have to do yourself. You and you alone are responsible to do this. Paul is saying that the preparation in the spiritual battle and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, this is your responsibility to tie your straps, so to say. This is your responsibility to anchor your feet inside of the boots. This is your position to do this. When Caleb was little, it was always funny to watch him come walk out of the bedroom in my boots. He didn't make it very far because the boots weren't tied. He didn't make it very far because before long, he would trip over the strings as he tried to drag the heavy boots. This word here, when he says, and having your feet shod, it means that it gives the idea that not only are you supposed to have these boots on, but they're supposed to be tied down. It means they're to be fastened tightly to your foot. It is to say that it's not enough just to say that you're in the boot, in the boot, but it's to say that the boot is secure upon you so that you don't slip out of it, so that there's no risk of tripping over the strings, so that there's no risk of coming out of the boot. He's saying, having your feet shod, tighten up the straps. Why? Because you will need the traction in battle. We sing songs like, How Firm of Foundation. It is a statement of 
how firm a foundation is, but having your feet shot about with the preparation of the gospel of peace is how anchored we are in this firm foundation. I cannot steady your walk. I cannot secure your footing as you face the wiles of the devil. But notice what he goes on to say here. He uses this in the plural form. And having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is to say there's no riding the fence. There's no being a successful soldier having one foot in the world and one foot in the word. You are definite. You are on the path of losing your footing. Paul says in order for a soldier to be able to engage in spiritual warfare, both feet must be anchored in the gospel of peace. They, must, they both must be firmly planted in order to stay protected. Now, for us today, we may not really understand the importance of shoes. We live in a society that shoes are more fad, shoes are more style, I guess, unless you play sports, you know, because baseball has shoes and tennis has shoes and track has shoes. But this was a big, a big situation in Rome, and it was even a bigger situation for soldiers, it was one of the most common practices in the time of battle that people would be hired to sharpen a bunch of tiny sticks and they would go out around the place in which they were defending and they would dig up just a little bit of the ground and bury all of these sharpened sticks just below the surface. The purpose of this is so that when the enemy would come, when the enemy would try to attack them, it would debilitate the enemy because the soldiers' feet were pierced. Their feet were standing upon these sharp sticks and they were unable to wield the sword with their strength. If they could not walk, they could not fight. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says about these boots that these Roman soldiers wore. They were some to be three-quarter inches thick of leather, and they were pierced through with nails. This gives you the mindset that these Roman soldiers, they had a lot of care and concern about the traction that they had while they engaged in the battle. Matter of fact, if you were even to read on further, Josephus says that many of the great victories that was happened by that was um, that was perceived by Alexander the Great or even by Julius Caesar, they said that these victories that they had was not because they had great archers. They were not because they were wielding great swords. It was that these these soldiers had great foot protection. It is noted that several of the battles that even in Alexander the Great, as he engaged in battle, that many of the people had turned to go back because they could not handle the cold on their feet. Lack of protection. Even if you read history during World War II and even during World War I, you'll come to realize how many people were put in medic or who were taken out of infantry or taken out of war because their feet were improperly cared for and experienced frostbite or ended up having to have amputation because their feet were not properly taken care of. Preparation here, he says, 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He wants our feet not only covered, but notice what it says here. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation is the state of readiness that you're in. Most of us, when we say, hey, we've got something to do, and they say, are you ready? And you say, yep, I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. Let's go. What is the importance of Paul emphasizing this? Why does he not just say, and having your feet shod about with the gospel of peace? Paul adds this word here for preparation to bring to our mind is that we should always be in a state of preparedness. When we're engaged in the battle, it's too late to get prepared. If we're not anchored in the word of God now, if we're not anchored in the gospel of peace now, when the battle happens, when we are ensuing in spiritual warfare, guess what happens? It's too late to try to get anchored. Then for certain, you will fall. Having your feet shod with the preparation means as we go into the battle, our feet are already anchored into the gospel of truth. Preparation is something that is done before the battle. It defines the readiness of our lives. So he says that we are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This word in the Greek language, the word gospel is euangelion. It just simply means good news. But I love how the Lord inspired the New Testament writers to steal this word, to take this word, to, to use to explain that the gospel is the good news. Many times throughout history, and even in the Greek culture, if you was to bump into someone, we say, today we say, hey, how are you doing? But in that culture, it was not uncommon when you came into somebody, when you bumped into somebody, they would say, hey, do you have some good news for me today? Tell me something good. Tell me your angry on. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this word is used to proclaim victory. It is it was used when, if there was information coming back, if there was news coming back from the battle, it was used to tell whether um, someone had been put to death or an enemy had been captured. It was used to say that the Yoanglion, the, the good news from the battlefield, is that we have victory. This is the emphasis of this word, good news. Often if the news was sent in a letter or if it came back from the battlefield by ship or by horse or by swift runner, it, it, it lays out that there was someone anxiously awaiting good news from the battlefield. And when the news arrived, the Yoanglion arrived, it was good news. And so... Paul emphasizes here to all of us the good news, the gospel. Why is this so important for us? Because this is more than just a gospel where we're to be reminded that we are to go out and preach the gospel in every creature. We understand the great commission of Matthew chapter 28. We get it, but this is more than that. The gospel is more than our salvation. 
it is the reminder that as we engage in spiritual warfare, that we have the victory. It is that while we're fighting and while we're warring against the enemy, that good news has already come back. <laughs> that no matter how this turns out, there's a day coming when the eastern skies are going to split and I'm meeting the opera taker and everything's going to be all right. And even though Satan has fumbled me in this life, though Satan may have foiled me in this life, his day is coming. It is the good news. It is the great news. It is the gospel of peace. Paul's challenge for all of us that we, be, we would be firmly planted in the truth of the gospel of peace. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us that we can live a victorious Christian life. As I just said, when Christ, who is our life, is what it says, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Good news. <laughs> we have this victory. We have the victory in this life. The gospel reminds us that it is Satan in this life who causes us to doubt. It is Satan who wants to bring us to a place where we're ready to quit. It is Satan that buffets us to say you are all alone, that you're not going to make it, that now would be a great time to give up. These are his words to the battling believer. It is his words to bring us to a place that we're not going to make it. It was said that during World War II, it was during the dark days of England, during the Blitz, where Germany was really just bombarding England. It was said that Winston Churchill was a mastermind in knowing the heart of the people. He constantly kept his eyes on the people. And it seemed like in their darkest hours, where they were truly separate, uh, desperate, that it would never fail, that when it seemed like the morale of all of England had just begun to come down, that Winston Churchill would come across the radio and speak to the English people. And when their hearts were filled with defeat and when their hearts were filled with discouragement, when they were almost ready to quit, one man's voice would ring out across the radio and it would, it would wake the nation's heart again. They would be re-energized. The morale of an entire people would be elevated and strengthened. That is exactly what the gospel does. That is exactly what Christ does. When we are in our darkest hours, when we're in the most desperate times, when it just really feels like we're going to lose this spiritual battle, a voice comes across the airwaves and says, don't worry, my child, it is all finished. Don't worry, my child, all fears can be rested in me. You have nothing to worry about. Don't worry, my child, this whole world is in my hands. This gospel is the reminder to all of us that the ultimate enemy has been defeated. His word reminds us to stand fast, you are loved. His, his word reminds us to stand fast, you will soon have victory. His word reminds us that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
That is Paul's emphasis. He wants us to stand on God's word. Many will say that this emphasis that having our feet shod about with the preparation of the gospel of peace has to do with all of us going out and preaching the gospel. And I do think it pertains to that. But I really think that Paul is calling the believer back to anchor in to the gospel. This is not a call to go out and preach it. This is a call to hold on to what you already have. This is a call for us to hold fast to what we already have. Remember what he told us, what he tells us here. In verse 11, he tells us to what? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, what does he tell us? To withstand. Verse 14, what does he tell us to do? Stand. And in verse 15, Paul is calling the believer again to stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By standing on the gospel, by standing on the word, I think we oftentimes forget how much power we really have. I mean, even our Lord, when he was out in the wilderness facing Satan, what did he say when Satan began to tempt him? Is it not written? Even when the Lord rebukes Satan, he goes to his own word. He goes back to the word of God. We must anchor our feet in the word. Notice lastly what it says here. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is what this gospel is. We oftentimes say, well, the gospel doesn't bring peace. When we preach the gospel, it brings peace to the believer. But to the unbeliever, it seems to trouble them. To the unbeliever, it at times angers them to hear that there is no other way to heaven but through Christ. Yet Paul references this to us that this gospel is truly the gospel of peace. In Romans chapter 5, we see this whole basic picture of mankind, of who they are. We see in Romans chapter 5, he says, starting off in verse 6, he says, when you were weak, meaning when you guys were without strength, in verse 7, he says, for, scarce, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, which is to say that for an unrighteous man, nobody would die. So you're weak. You're unrighteous. In verse 8, he says, we're sinners. In verse 9, he goes on to say that we are the objects of God's wrath. The objects, the recipients of God's wrath. So what does Romans 5 tell us? That we are unjustified, unsaved, objects of God's wrath, weak, unrighteous, sinful, unsaved. Summing it all up in verse 10 of Romans chapter 5, we were the enemies of God. And an enemy of God who is the object of God's judgment. You see, you cannot have peace when you are the object of the, so to say, enemy's wrath. When we read the open of Nahum chapter 1, which says God will not acquit the wicked. God is a God of vengeance. 
God is a God of justice. And if men and women or men and women are enemies against God, they will feel God's judgment. That is where we all stand if we've not repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That is where we all stand. We are the object of God's wrath. We are the enemy of God unless we have peace with God. Now, how do we have peace with God? Romans chapter 5 again. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies. But through the gospel, we found peace with God. We were the objects of his wrath, but Christ died. We were sinners, but Christ died. We were unrighteous, and yet Christ still died for us. We were too weak to look to him, and yet he came to us. Romans 5 says, this is exactly what Paul is meaning in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 15. You have found peace with God through the gospel of peace. Don't forget where you're standing. Don't forget where you are before God's eyes. Don't forget where to find yourself firmly planted. This is the gospel of peace. We, through this gospel, have found peace with God. So, coming to the close as we continue this study on the Christian and his battles, Paul urges the believer not only to have our loins girded up with truth, not only to have on the breastplate of righteousness, but he urges the believer to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If not, we'll find ourselves in a debilitated situation. If we don't take the time to protect in which we stand upon, if we don't take time to study that which we stand upon, we will find ourselves in due time in a situation where we are unable to stand because we have been afflicted by the enemy. Listen, Satan knows what to do in our own lives to kind of draw our minds away from focus. He knows exactly how to afflict the believer in the aspect of we may start off to do something good, but Satan knows exactly how to afflict the believer to kind of pull us back away from the course that we were on. And so the recommendation and the call for all of us is to, when we go home or when here this evening, is to Anchor our footing again 
secure our minds and hearts again, anchor our footing in the gospel and the reality of what the gospel means. We have victory. We have victory. That's what makes the song Victory in Jesus so good, right? We have victory in our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we ever in this battle move our feet away from being anchored where our victory is, in due time we will fall. But if we would just stay anchored, fastened, secured upon this firm foundation, we too will be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to be with us as we work through this study, Lord, on the Christian and his battles. Lord, as we continue to study what it means to put on the whole armor of God. Lord, we give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you brought here in this building today, not only this morning, but this evening. We praise you and we give thanks to you, Lord. We pray that you continue to work here at the Wind Place Baptist Church, Lord. May we be a place of refreshment. May we be a place for encouragement for brothers and sisters in battle. May we be a light to the lost and dying world. May we be a, a, a refreshment to the world when we have the gospel of peace to offer them. Lord, help us to stand fast. Lord, help us to stay strong even in times of discouragement, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll be with every person here this evening, Lord. Be with us as we leave here. Though we may leave here, may the words we sang today not leave here. May they go with us. May we be reminded. May the words we heard here this evening leave with us, Lord. As we leave to engage in spiritual warfare, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.